You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome back to Faster, More Intense for The Mandalorian Chapter 10, The Passenger. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen, and joining me this week, uh, we got another special guest. We've got Tim Jirasi from Star Wars The Saga Continues. Jirasi Park himself. <laughs> yep. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but- awesome. Uh, are you? I, did, how do you feel about this episode? How do you feel about this episode right off the bat? I really enjoyed it, but I was coming off such a high of the premiere. That was just yeah. incredible. And I just think there wasn't, there was only one way for me it could have lived up, not lived up, but continue on just that high, high bar that the first episode would have set. And for me, that was if they would have continued the whole Boba Fett storyline. That's what I was really yeah, hoping yeah. for after that last tease we got after the yeah. Marshall episode, but still really enjoyable episode. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's um, it's it, it has been uh, uh, the source of much controversy uh, over the last week, um, and we'll get into that when we're in the episode when we're doing the recap. But uh, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a very polarizing episode. I mean, like coming out of it on f- last Friday morning, uh, watching it at six a.m. when I finished around six thirty six forty five, I uh, I was like, oh man, what a what a great episode, but I know that I think I tweeted it. It's like, uh, before you guys all start calling it a filler episode, I hate to break it to you. Like this is the show, <laughs> right? The show is going to be side quests. That's, that's what the whole thing is. Um, but I, I, but that ended up not even being that big of a deal. The, the, the problem is the, is the baby Yoda eating eggs and, and all that sort of stuff. So we'll, we'll talk about that stuff yeah. when we're, when we're in the midst of it, we'll, we'll, I'll bring that stuff up <clears throat> uh, in the episode proper. But before we do that, let's just, let's just jump into some news uh, right off the bat. I've, I forgot to mention, and I did record an extra little chunk, but I, I I'll just mention it again here. Uh, thank you so much to Christy Carew for our awesome new theme song. Uh, it, we we love it. It's uh, it's so cool to have our own uh, our own Star Wars theme. Uh, uh, and and she did such a an amazing job um, composing an original piece of music for us that is original. Like it's identifiably original. It doesn't. It's not like a sound alike or something. I, but it is definitely in the Star Wars genre, right? Like it definitely fits in with Star Wars as a whole. So um, thank you so much to Christy Carew. Uh, everybody should go check out Christy on Instagram and, and Twitter and all that um, and, uh, and, and give her some love. And, and she, she's done a bunch of uh, uh, podcast intro music and, and Tim, you'll be happy to know that she is working 
on uh on a theme for the saga continues as well uh and and Sweet. one for rebel cells so i uh, yeah and and I, I she's a very very busy person so i i these uh her the side projects uh that <laughs> which this is one of them i i sometimes they have to wait a little while <laughs> but it's worth the wait it's definitely worth the wait and I, I like i i i definitely like put the put the deadline on this one i was like oh but i gotta have it for when mando comes back that's like my only thing <clears throat> we don't need the rebel cells one until bad batch in in presumably march i assume that's when we'll get that but uh i yeah i just so good so so good and we're so appreciative of of her hard work uh, and talent being contributed to the to the show. Um, and uh, I'm sorry if can you guys hear the kid crying in the background? Because there's definitely a kid crying in the background that I can hear. So if you guys at home can hear that, I apologize. Uh, it's it's around bedtime. It's actually way past bedtime right now, and that's the reason for yelling. Uh, <laughs> bedtime but they don't want it to be bedtime right <laughs> uh yeah you know we've been really lucky like they've they've both uh they've both been really good about going to bed on time around 7 30 between 7 30 and 8 for like the last month or so really um but uh, i don't know there's something in the air tonight they they both were kind of squirrely and high energy at 6 30 tonight and i was like "Ooh, this is not good this doesn't bode well for recording with Tim tonight, <laughs> but uh, it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll power through it. I think Crystal's got it under control. I, uh, the, the other piece of, of news, it's not really news, but I just wanted to reiterate. This is something that we talked about a, a, a couple months ago, but the, uh, the, the trans rights or human rights. Uh, this is the way fundraiser is still going on. Um, and I, I, oh man, I, I should have had the, the link up already, or I should have linked that in the doc. Um, but I, I, it's a great fundraiser, I, I, to support trans rights. Uh, and obviously like the, 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 the elephant in the room there is that there was some controversy a little while ago about, uh, I, I, uh, Gina Carano and we don't need to get into all the nitty gritty of that. I think that people, people either know or don't care. Uh, it's, it's one or the other. So, uh, but, uh, some star Wars fans set up this, uh, this, uh, I think it's a GoFundMe. I'm going to double check that. Um, and, uh, I, uh, and have raised a lot of money. I want to see. I'm, I want to bring it up because uh, I want to see what the the total is. Um, there it is. Yeah. It's yeah. So it is. It's on GoFundMe. If you just go to GoFundMe and and you in the top left corner, there's a little search bar. You can click that and just if you just put in trans rights or human rights, you'll see it because it's the one with Baby Yoda uh, in the in the little uh, featured image. And they're currently at $11,433. And I believe it goes all the way through to the end of the month. So if, uh, if, if you've got the uh, disposable income and you can, uh, you can, you can drop a little bit uh, on this fundraiser, that would be awesome. We would, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, and uh, it's, it's organizing uh, uh, or sorry, it's raising money for uh, the transgender law center. 
uh, which uh, which fights for uh, uh, human rights for for uh, transgender people. So uh, so definitely go check that out. And if you can't, here's the, here's one of the things, if you can't donate to it, cause, cause just financially, you're not in a place where you can do that, which is totally understandable in the midst of the world that we live in right now. I, uh, if that's the case, still go check it out and, and there's a share button and you can share it and, and hopefully uh, someone in your network will, uh, will be able to donate. Um, so uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Trans rights are human rights. This is the way is the is the full title of the fundraiser over on GoFundMe. Uh, and uh, and let's get them to 15,000 before the end of the month. That would be really, really cool. But regardless, uh, it's sitting at 11,000 right now, $11,433. And that is incredible. Uh, Most impressive. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's well, exactly what I said the first time that we brought this up. Um, it's so impressive because it's actually like, there's not a lot of huge donations on this. Um, it's not like somebody came in and dropped, you know, a couple thousand dollars at some point, this is all like 40 and $20 and and $30 donations. Um, and, and every little bit helps. And this is, this is perfect proof of the fact that every little bit bit helps. So if, even if all you can donate is $5, it's, uh, it's, it's all going towards a, a, a great cause. And, uh, and, and really like what, like at the end of the day, what it's about is showing that star Wars stands for something. Star Wars means something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and, and that star Wars fans uh, are, the best fans in the galaxy, even though, uh, as we'll get into, sometimes there are some some bad apples, but uh, uh, they do not spoil the bunch in this instance, uh, uh, because the majority, the vast majority of Star Wars fans are awesome, wonderful people, and this just goes to show it. So, uh, so check that out. Uh, and without that, with that, is is there anything else that, that that's been in the news that you can think of lately? Not really, at least nothing that's big that's come across my radar. I mean, kind of been quiet, whole, right? We, we've got the. With, sorry, go ahead. Was, there was the whole thing that a few days ago about uh, another one of the potential ideas Lucas had for uh, the sequel trilogy about Darth Maul being yeah. one of the villains and Darth Talon. Yeah, that's that's yeah. That to me is more of a discussion topic. I'll leave that to uh, you guys. I know I saw that Paul w- wants to. Oh yeah, he's wants to get into it. <laughs> he's itching to talk about. Uh, uh, of course he does. I, uh, uh, yeah, no, I'll leave that to you guys over at the saga continues. Uh, while we, uh, while we do our, our weekly recaps, we'll leave the, we'll leave the broader topics to you guys. <laughs> that's a good reason for people to go check you guys out. Yep, that's where we have um, the most fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, yeah, no, I, it's, it's, it, it was kind of cool to see that. And I, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to reading more about that in the, in the coming, uh, probably weeks as as that book makes its way over here to North America because right now it's been released in the UK and some people in North America have gotten their hands on it, but uh, it, the wider release is is I think later this month uh, or maybe at the beginning of December I can't remember but it's the Star Wars archives uh, episodes one to three so they are like uh, uh, if you've never seen one of these books the Star Wars archives books are awesome. They're incredible. They're these giant coffee table books just full of 
Star Wars. <laughs> um, concept art, poster art, uh, behind the scenes photos, uh, uh, behind the scenes stories, development stuff. It's just like everything that you could possibly imagine is in these books. And so the second volume, which is the one for the prequels, uh, is, uh, is, is, is in the middle of being released. And uh, yeah, it's got some stuff about about surprisingly George's plans for the sequels, which in- included Darth Maul. I uh, having survived, we know that, you know, it was George's idea that he survived the clone wars, but that um, I, rather than having him die in star Wars rebels, right before a new hope begins, uh, he survived through the original trilogy and into the era of the sequel trilogy, and he is the big bad guy. Um, and and that that George wanted to bring Darth Talon from uh, from the Star Wars le- it's the legacy comics, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, into into that timeline, uh, into that part of the timeline, and 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 canonize that character, which would have been really good. Uh, Darth Talon was a was a, a female Twi'lek with Darth Maul type tattoos, um, which would have been really cool to see. And you can actually see a hint at that in the, uh, in the force awakens art book. Cause before they, they had a script and they were just kind of playing with the ideas. There's, there's actually a really great piece of art that was produced that, that does have Darth Talon in it. So um yeah, it's uh, it, it's cool to hear that sort of stuff. It would have been cool to see. Um, I hope that one day we get that. I hope that we're not in a movie. I don't think we'll ever get it in a movie, but I hope that like we got the comic book for the Star Wars, mm-hmm. right, from, from his first draft. Um, I hope that we get something like that one day with the story treatments that, that he did for his sequel trilogy. Not because... Obviously, I mean, like you and I, we love the sequel trilogy, right? So it's not to throw shade at that or say, oh, Disney, Lucasfilm, blah, 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 like be fandom ministers or anything. But just because it'd be cool, to just because it would be cool. To see. <laughs> yeah, it would just be cool to see the alternative yeah. take. One of my favorite things in Star Wars, uh, in like in, in all of the content is the Star Wars Infinity. Oh, I love those comics. Yeah, those are great. Um, they, they, like the first one, I uh, picks up right at the end of a new hope. And instead of Luke hitting the mark, instead of, instead of him blowing up the death star, he misses. And, uh, cause I think he did, I think he opts to use the targeting computer instead of trusting the force. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he misses and that sets off a chain of events that completely changes the rest of the trilogy. Right. I like Leia gets captured trying to escape from Yavin for, and, uh, and, and ends up, uh, uh, being trained by Vader. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's so cool. Um, and they did one for each of the original trilogy movies. It's, I have long said, it's a shame that we haven't gotten them for the prequels. And Great. now we've got a whole other trilogy, uh, with the sequel trilogy. And it's like, let's like, come on, like, let's bring back star Wars infinities and let's, uh, Let's I in particular, let's do the prequels, because I think that there's so much great opportunity there. One of those things is is to have Darth Maul escape, I think, in The Phantom Menace would be so cool to see how the rest of the the prequels would have played out if Darth Maul hadn't been killed. 
if because so, then Dooku never would have entered the mm-hmm. picture, uh, Grievous wouldn't have been necessary or would have been would it would have been handled differently, right? Um, and and obviously everything that happens with Death Watch would be completely different. So to me, it's like I I think what like here's here here I'll pitch it and then we'll get into the actual episode <laughs> of the Mandalorian. I but here I want I want to I want to hear what you think of this idea, which I'm just this is just coming off the top of my head. So Darth Maul survives, right? The Clone Wars obviously still move forward because that was always the plan mm-hmm. as Darth Maul intimates in the Clone Wars when he's like, ah, so I see it moved on without me, right? Um, the galaxy moves on without me or whatever he says. I, I, so, the, so the Clone Wars still happen, but, but Maul is a part of that. Dooku is still the face of the Separatists, but he's never Darth Tyrannus, right? He, he never gets to that point. So Asajj Ventress is never brought in. Because, because he he never seeks out uh, an apprentice, yeah. so Asajj is sort of out there, and and we could have some stuff where Asajj uh, uh, ends up, you know, allying with the Jedi sooner than she does in in the actual timeline, uh, and then because Darth Maul doesn't move against Death Watch, or not move it doesn't Death Watch never finds Darth Maul because none of that stuff happens, right? He's not left to die in that ship. And so I, I, so that connection is never made. So Darth Maul never moves against Mandalore with death watch. So like none of that ends up happening, but what you end up with is in the midst of the war, it gets to the point where the Jedi have to like Mandalore has to join the war. Right. Mm. And so you get the Mandalorians fighting alongside the Jedi. And that's how the Jedi actually like they 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 win they defeat the separatists but uh but then you would have order 66 and in the midst of order 66 you would have uh uh the mandalorians tied up in that and and see what happens uh what do you think about that and i'd read that story <laughs> <laughs> should i read it up i don't have time uh, that's the cool thing uh, about that's there's like a few different ways you can go just with the prequel trilogy. Cause I was even thinking a cool way would it be with what if Qui-Gon doesn't die at the end of the Phantom Menace and just that changes yeah. everything as far as how Anakin's brought up as a Jedi, if he even falls to the dark side, there's a whole different path <laughs> things could take if Qui-Gon survives. So there's like, that's why you're dead on as far as saying the prequels need to have an infinity yeah. story some way. It would just be so much fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think, I think both of those things can be true, <laughs> right? Like let's, let's take both of our ideas. Cause I think you're absolutely right. Uh, if, if, if Qui-Gon doesn't die, um, because something you'd, you'd have to like really look at that fight and you'd have to pick a place where it diverges, right? Something happens. Um, like, and, like and, Obi-Wan and they're separate before the energy shield closes on that last one. And <laughs> they both end up, yeah, so him. instead of so instead of instead of him killing Qui-Gon, Maul realizes I'm trapped in here now with two of them. I can't beat them both. And he like jumps down the shaft yeah. or something like that. And they're like, oh, I guess he's gone. Uh but then he like he 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 obviously survives. If he survived it cut in half, he'll survive exactly. it in one piece. <laughs> and so yeah, then you would end up with you would end up with uh Man, it's so perfect because Qui-Gon would take on Anakin, right? And then and then Obi-Wan would go and he would he would properly face the trials. Uh he would become a Jedi knight. 
and then his career would progress. And then the Clone Wars happen. And then I, uh, I would, I would have Ahsoka just be his Padawan. I was thinking the same thing <laughs> as you were talking about. instead of, <laughs> instead of like the Anakin entanglement uh-huh. and, and, and <laughs> you want to really mess with things. I, uh, if Anakin is free and doesn't have a Padawan, we could grab somebody else. We could grab a Caleb Doom. We could grab a Cal Kestis. Ah. <laughs> we can grab somebody else and and give him a different apprentice, right? Um, and then instead of it being like Qui Gon, obviously would be on the council at that point because because of so many of the Jedi dying, he would have to be. Um, although, like like this this is one of the really interesting things. If Qui Gon survives and the Clone Wars break out, was Dooku right? That's the real question. Would Qui-Gon have allied with Dooku? Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah. Had told him there's a Sith Lord in charge of the the Republic. Like it because Dooku I think would have like like think think of this think of the way that the Sith generally work, right? And I know I said maybe Dooku's not a Sith, but 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 think about it that that Dooku he was trying to tempt Obi-Wan, right? To and why was he trying to tempt Obi-Wan? Not because Palpatine wanted him to, but because Dooku saw an opportunity, if Obi-Wan's by my side, we can defeat Palpatine mm-hmm. and then I'm the Emperor. <laughs> right? It, that's what it always is. And so Dooku might have the ability to, to actually pull that off with Qui-Gon um, because Qui-Gon already kind of has enough issues with the Jedi Council that, that you know, like so, so then you would see Qui-Gon and Anakin go with Dooku and you, maybe you'd actually end up with multiple factions. The problem here is that this isn't one graphic novel now. This is yeah. like you you got to do like three or four volumes. I know this. it's a whole it's a total line now, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. Wow. Uh, it, it, look, listen, uh, Disney, Lucasfilm, Marvel, we're here. We 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 got this sorted out for you. We're available. We'll, yep. uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll write this. Uh, Anyways, uh, yeah, with that, you want to you want to get into this episode? You want to want to jump in? All right. The Mandalorian Chapter 10, The Passenger, directed by Peyton Reed, his first episode directing and uh, written by Jon Favreau. Uh, Go ahead. you, You can start off. Okay. After defeating a crate dragon and pronouncing a set of worn Mandalorian armor from Cobb Vanth, Din Djarin speeds back to Mos Eisley to continue his quest. Unbeknownst to him, a group of bounty hunters lie in wait along his path, eager to collect a reward for him and the child. The hunters spring their trap, destroying Din's speeder bike and sending him and the child flying. Din fights fights off all the attackers but one, who was able to grab the child in the chaos and now holds him hostage with a knife. The Mandalorian is able to negotiate the child's release in exchange for his jetpack, which he promptly activates with a control on his wrist. The jetpack carries the hunter high into the air, drops him to his doom, and lands softly at Din's feet. The Mandalorian gathers up the child as his scattered belongings and heads for Moss Eisley on foot. I, yeah, so I, look, let's, let's, let's be clear. I think we were all disappointed that this didn't have anything to do with Boba. <laughs> yeah. When the episode starts back up on Tatooine, I was really surprised. This is, uh, uh, I think, the first time that we've had an episode continue in this way. Um, now I, there, there's an obvious reason for that and we'll, it'll, it's the next scene, but, uh, 
uh, yeah, I, I when when we first see these guys setting up, I thought like, oh well, maybe maybe Boba's with them, right? Again, we're assuming that that character is Boba. I think that we're, it's very clear that it's supposed to be. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's room for us to be proven wrong that it's not actually Boba Fett, but um, but I'm pretty sure it is. I I that that said, um, he, he, Boba has nothing to do with this. This is just three hapless bounty hunters who think that they can get the drop on Mando, which they technically do for a minute. Um, and then this little dude, uh, who actually, um, we, we, this, 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 the, his robot helmet head thing is familiar. Cause we actually saw that design, that helmet, which they, they've reused a lot of stuff in the Mandalorian, but we saw that one in the force awakens. It's actually one of the little like Unkar Plutz minions, that uh, when Ray is kind of daydreaming, watching the old woman wash the stuff when mm-hmm. she's washing the junk um, and sees this old woman. And it, we're supposed to think like, oh, she's worried that that's going to be her in, you know, 50 years. Um, that uh, that that one guy kind of comes out, like bumps her and, and tells her to get back to work. That's it's the same. That's the same helmet um, very clearly. So. Um, uh, it was kind of, it was kind of cool to see that again, to see that design again. Um, but, uh, man, they picked the wrong guy. <laughs> they picked the wrong guy on the wrong day <laughs> and the wrong target. Uh, yeah. It was a great opening though. It was such a cool little short action sequence that we got to see to kick off the episode. I was kind of hoping as it was going on that maybe if they subdued Din Djarin just for a bit, that Boba Fett would come to the rescue mm-hmm. and that's how they'd come face to face and meet up with each other. But <laughs> we know that didn't happen. Yeah. And kind of once he made his way back to Moss Eisley, I was thinking, okay, I guess Boba isn't going to show up. I really one. like that we don't get like, we don't get weekly, like next time on the Mandalorian sort of thing. Like we don't get like a little um, preview of the next episode. They just leave it so that we're just completely in the dark going into it. It's my favorite thing about this show is how surprising it is. Cause this whole episode, yeah. I mean, like obviously they, they, they go to this ice planet and uh, you know, we all speculated that it could be Ilum and you know, that, that he was going to yep. find a lightsaber crystal and all that stuff. I, uh, but uh, obviously that was not the case. Um, and that's, it's so cool to just be proven wrong. It's now, it, usually when we get our hopes up and we have expectations and that sort of thing with Star Wars, we end up very disappointed. And the thing I find with The Mandalorian is that more often than not, I'm like, yeah, that was better anyways. <laughs> right? Our ideas are generally pretty dumb compared to the good stories that they actually write for this show. <laughs> Leave it to the professionals. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which I guess kind of contradicts our Infinities thing earlier. But uh, <laughs> Anything goes with infinity. That's right? true. Can, that's true. That's <laughs> where you can be silly, um, and yeah. and and it is just pure fan service. Uh, here, let me let me continue here because this, this is when we start to get into some of the good stuff. Uh, Din reunites with uh, Peli Motto in Mos Eisley. She has a new lead for him on the potential whereabouts of another Mandal- Mandalorian covert, but there's a catch. Her contact, a frog-like female alien, wants passage to a nearby system to reunite with her husband. To complicate matters further, the frog lady is carrying precious cargo, a canister of her own unfertilized eggs, the last of her family line. The eggs are fragile and won't survive traveling through hyperspace, so they have to make their journey at sublight speed. Din warns that this is extremely dangerous, but he reluctantly agrees to bring the passenger along. 
As they board the razor crest, the child is entranced by the sight of the eggs suspended in bright blue liquid. I kind of glance. Look, listen, this this recap was provided by Kyle Avery uh, and Kyle. I got a bone to pick with you. Uh, you did not mention Dr. Mandible in this. Yeah. <laughs> and that is something that just will not stand because uh, I. Dr. Mandible is now my favorite Star Wars character. I'm going to throw out all of my Obi-Wan Kenobi merchandise um, and replace it with, uh, oh, wait, I'm getting a I'm getting a message. There is no Dr. Mandible merchandise and there probably will not be any. OK, uh, scratch that. I'll keep my <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff, but I still think Dr. Mandible is fantastic. Um I mean, what's the point of creating any new Star Wars character now that you got here? Exactly. I mean, We're done. Like, better. like when people are like, oh, what do you want to see? What kind of Star Wars movie do you look? Listen, Dr. Mandible. That's it. That's all I want. I just want Dr. Mandible merch. I want I want him on a lunchbox. I want him on a T-shirt uh, action figures. I'll even buy a Funko Pop, even though it's a bobblehead because the Star Wars ones are bobbleheads. I hate bobbleheads. I might break my rule might break my rule for this one i <laughs> uh, yeah i mean people people i i there are two opinions on the uh, on the the child with the eggs uh funko pop um but i i think that one thing we can all agree is that dr mandible would be a great funko pop as a matter of fact look listen funko all right if you make like a like one of the little diorama sets that is Dr. Mandible and, and Pelly sitting playing Sabak. Uh, I, I am buying that. I am buying that 1000%. There's no way I'm not buying that. If there's any merchandise that is the two of them playing cards in the most icely cantina, like, cause I can just see it. It's like the, like the, it's just the booth, right? What it would make a great, mm-hmm. like a Christmas ornament or, I can I can picture a bunch of different things. I yeah no Doctor Mandible is just one of those fantastic uh, original trilogy, particularly a New Hope uh, type of characters. Seeing him in it, he he just fits so perfectly in the in the most icely cantina. And Pelly continues to be one of my favorite characters on this show. Uh, she is without a doubt my favorite supporting character and she's now been in three episodes um, and I don't think it's the last that we'll see of her either which I love because I know that there are a lot of people who do not like this character uh, and to those people I say uh, you're dumb and you're wrong because Pelly is great uh, Tim are you one of the people are you a, are you a Pelly lover or a Pelly hater or are you a, uh, are you Pelly neutral I am Pelly neutral. <laughs> I I didn't hate her when she yeah. first appeared in episode five of season one, but her character just felt something like we've never seen in Star Wars. I felt different. You kind of just had to get used to it a little bit. To me, and she she feels like she's out of one of the the Brian Daly Han Solo novels because um, mm-hmm. in those books, like there's a lot the, those those books have a lot of supporting characters, a lot of characters who have never been canonized. They've never been in anything else. Um, and, and they, they have, it's, it's like much more of like a comic book, they're novels, right? Novellas really, but, uh, it's, it's like prose. It's not, they're not comics. Although I, I think that they, I think all three were adapted into comics, but, um, 
they like the the characters are definitely more of like the pulp adventure type characters than what we're used to seeing in Star Wars. Certainly different from like the the post Return of the Jedi, um, the the Del Rey, uh, like the later Star Wars stuff that started with like Heir to the Empire, right? Um, where it got very like self serious and Star Wars was a was a serious sci fi franchise in in the books. Um, the 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 stuff that came out in the eighties, what the the Han Solo stuff and then the Lando Calrissian stuff was much more adventure based. It was much more like sort of silly fun, and and Peli definitely fits in with that cast of characters to me. Um, and, and so like, I, she's like, to me, she's very, uh, in place with like, the, like a lot of the characters from the background of solo. Like when you think of, mm-hmm. of, and, and, and Dr. Mandible is a great example of this. When you think of all those characters that are around the Sabak table, uh, in, in yeah, solo, like Peli is like, uh, just off screen making silly comments about, about who's winning and who's losing. Right. Like. I don't know. I, I love the character because she's just to me. Um, all of the Mandalorian is very heightened. It's 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 actually very different from other Star Wars in this way, where it's like in 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 especially in the original trilogy, we have a character every once in a while that comes in that has a very like heightened way of speaking like like Palpatine or uh, or you know i i mean like even lando when when we first meet him and he's sort of you know giving his little speeches and stuff he's he kind of talks in a certain way and and jabba definitely like the translation of it is very like grandiose and 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 kind of has that that quality to it and yoda is is probably the best example of it um when yoda gets serious in empire and jedi where where he's it's very it becomes like very fairy tale it's like sort of almost almost shakespearean right like it kind of gets into that into that mm-hmm. the the shakespeare territory or like the chaucer territory of it being like very um um old english type of like when mando says in last week's episode sorry excuse me when he says uh, i've been quested to to return the child to his people right like stuff like that and yeah. pelly uh. pelly is she's she is that type of character but everybody else is like is in the series is is very much the the quill is a great example of it where it's like there there there's like this nobility to all of the characters but then peli matches the tone but from a comedic angle and i think that that's where a lot of people like sort of get a little bit put off by the character is that like everything that she does is very um, uh, it's all, it, there's a lot of like clever turns of phrase and and uh, and and just like the sort of these little jabs, but she's very much like a a a, a, a comedic uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern type of character that you would see in Shakespeare that comes in to kind of point out how ridiculous everything is. Right. And to remind us that that this is high adventure and that it's Star Wars, like don't this isn't Game of Thrones. Like, let's all just remember for a second that this isn't Game of Thrones. Right. Uh, Because I think that a lot of the time, a lot of that's what a lot of people want 
from the Mandalorian is that they want it to be the Star Wars version of Game of Thrones. But then we have a character like Peli and we have like in uh, like uh, Bill Burr's character from from the prisoner uh, that like remind us like, oh, no, wait, we're still playing in like a silly Star Wars sandbox. These are action figures. They're not this isn't serious. Like, like let's all, let's all take a step back and remember that uh, the whole focus of this story is a a less than one foot tall uh, green goblin with pointy ears, big pointy ears (laughs) that can, that can do magic. Right. Like, like it's just like, let's all remember why we're here and what this is about um, and not get too serious with it. So I love her because of that. I, and I love Amy Sedaris just in general. Um, and I think that she does such a great job of grounding the show in a subversive way. Like she, like she's very grounding to me as a viewer because she reminds me that it is, that it is a show. Right. So it's like, it's, yeah. it's not grounded in the sense of like making it feel real, but it's grounded in the sense that it reminds me what reality star Wars is in, which is that it's, it's in a reality where I, I, a, a, a big blue elephant plays a keyboard in the, the court of a giant (laughs) slug man, (laughs) right? Like star Wars is dumb. Star Wars is very dumb, Uh, but in the best possible way. Uh, So yeah, I, I, that these are the reasons I love Peli and I, 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 (laughs) she's like flopping the piece of meat around as, as Mando is, is taking off. I, I telling him, you know, to, to, to good luck on his quest or whatever. And she's got the, and thanks to her. We now know that Rodians like their medium or their meat cooked. Well, yeah, done. <laughs> yeah. I, that was, that was so good. I was like, well, I'm not some Rodian. It's so good. It's it, she just, I, I think she's a great character. I think she's fantastic. Um, yeah. I, any, anything else to say about that? So we're introduced to frog lady. That's the official name for this character thus far. I know. <laughs> I, I, but I, I'm gonna. I'm. We're not gonna do this for the for the the recap necessarily. But I, but I, I 100% support uh, uh, Marie Claire from uh, What the Force podcast. Uh, she uh, would prefer that we refer to, like that we would name this character. Uh, I, I'm not sure if my pronunciation is gonna be right on this, but but I think it's Haget, uh, which is the Egyptian. Uh, she's, it's like an, a, the character is an, a, not a character uh, in mythology in Egyptian mythology there's a frog goddess uh, that is like a person with the head of a frog as as it is with all of the Egyptian gods right it's a person with the head of a whatever right yeah. um, and that that, uh, that goddess is named he- I, I believe it's Heget or maybe it's Heket um, but uh, yeah I, I, oh, I like yeah, that yeah. And, and I'm totally down for that for that to be the case. So, so maybe one day we'll get an official name, uh, probably in like a visual guide or something, right? Pablo's hard at work on that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we've, we've been given our quest. We, we have our mission, our side quest so that we can get the credits to do the next thing. Or I guess it's just to lead us along the path to the, to the Mandalorians. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, they're going to have to travel sublight, which, I, I ties it back into Empire Strikes Back when the hyperdrive's broken and they got to get to a nearby system. So they, they that's why they go to Bespin is because it's it's the closest safe system 
uh, and they can get there on sublight engines. So I liked that that callback of like, well, it's not there's more than one way to travel in Star Wars. Sublight is still very fast because you can get from one planet to another in a reasonable amount of time, which is confusing to me. But if you know anything about physics, it actually doesn't work, but that's all right. Um <laughs> But I, I, yeah, I, it's it's just fun to have that come back. Um, you want to continue? Yeah. The Razor Crest takes off from Tatooine. Din can't understand the Frog Lady's language, but he tries to explain to her that the voyage will be a long one. He sets the nav computer for their destination and heads down to the cargo bay, where he catches the child slurping down one of the Frog Lady's eggs. He swiftly reprimands the child, closes the open tank and heads to his bunk to get some rest. So here we go. This is our first instance of it. Uh, uh, and this is going to happen a few times in the episode. Now I, I will say like full disclosure, when I watched the episode, this didn't bother me in the least. Um, and, and I'll, I'll explain that by saying I, that when I was watching the episode, I was under the impression that this is a misdirect. Um, that in fact, the child isn't eating the eggs, but that he is doing what he thinks he needs to do to protect them. Um, and that, that I'm hoping in the next episode that, uh, that he's going to regurgitate them. Um, and, and Mm -hmm. my expectation is that something is actually going to happen to the canister and the other eggs are going to get destroyed. Um, and, (laughs) and we're going to have this moment of like, oh no it was all for nothing. This, this, the poor, like all poor, poor frog lady and frog man. Yeah. Um, and that's when the child's going to kind of come to the rescue. And we're going to realize much like when he was trying to heal Din in the second episode of the first season. Um, and Din was just like, no, go back in your thing and was putting him back in the, in the carrier that there's more to, to the child than we understand at the moment that, that, that he, uh, that he's, uh, uh, I, I, he's just, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Right. Um, because like, wasn't the whole setup making you believe that there is more than him just being hungry and wanting a snack the way he kind of used the force to exactly. Exactly. So like, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that I've got you on this episode, Tim, because, because <laughs> I, yeah, you, I think that you got the same vibe that I did, which is like, like he looks at it and then, and then the way that he like looks to see if anybody's there and then starts doing his thing. It's, it, mm. it, I, it all feels like, um, like he's mis- mischievous, right? But I feel like it's that's meant to be a misdirect. It's meant to throw us off the scent that that he's actually um, that he's actually doing something. Like that he's the and but the the other part of it is that is that and I'll talk about this in a little bit when, when, when we get some of these further scenes. I think that a big piece of this episode has to do with, and I think the whole the season as a whole is going to have to do with Mando learning to be a father. He, he wasn't raised in a traditional way. Right. I don't, I think he was too young to, to really remember his own parents. Um, Mm. uh, And, and because of the trauma that he went through and stuff that, that I think, I think that he sort of lost that connection to, to, to his own parents. And he was raised by the Mandalorians as a foundling. And we don't really know what that means, but, but, 
you can imagine that that he was raised as a warrior first right and so he doesn't really know what do you do with a small child right and i think that that a big through line this season is going to be him discovering what that responsibility means because even the language that he's used in in the last two episodes is it, 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 there's a disconnect between that and what the, what the armor told him, right? Because what she said to him was, I, I, you know, like the, the, the code dictates, like he's a foundling until you return him to his people, you are as his father and he as your child, right? Like that, that's what she said. And the way that he is treating it is like, oh, I've been quested to return this, ch- the child to its people. And it's like, okay, that's different. That's not the same as what she said. You actually, you actually have to take care of this child. It's not just that you have to find a person to give it to, right? And it actually really reminds me of Kanan and Ezra in the first season of Star Wars Rebels and the Kanan not thinking that he was up to the task of training Ezra. So like there's that, there's the, uh, the, the, um, uh, it's not Barris. It's the other one, uh, Luminara. They they think that they've found Luminara and Dolly, and and that they're going to go rescue her. And it turns out to be a trap and all that stuff. But like the idea was like Kanan was Ezra felt like Kanan was trying to pawn him off, right? But yeah. Kanan was like, no, like I'm not, I'm not a Jedi Knight. I can't train you. Right. And so there, there was like a disconnect there until until they sort of reconciled that. And Ezra was able to say, like, no, like, I do need you. Right. And then you get to later on in the series where where it comes full circle. And Ezra says to him, like, I like I couldn't have asked for a better teacher sort of thing. And he and Kanan is like, I, I did my best to teach you everything I knew about how to be a Jedi. And he's like, no, not not being a Jedi how to be a good man. Right. Like, like how, like, and, and what that was is like, no, like I needed a father and you stepped in and did that. Right. You, you filled that role for me um, and taught me what it is to be a good man and to, to be a good person. Um, and I think that like, like, look, look, that was Dave Filoni. <laughs> this is also Dave Filoni along with John Favreau. Um, John, Fa- if you've never seen the movie chef, uh, John Favreau, I believe that he wrote that. I know he directed it and he also stars in it. I think he wrote it as well. Um, it's very much about a father learning to become a father, a dad learning to become a father. Let's put it that way. Is like, like I, it, cause it's, it's easy to, to, to have a kid. <laughs> it's very difficult to be a father. <laughs> it's very difficult to, to, uh, to, to do a good job. And it's something that I think anybody with kids can understand the struggle, especially um, like as a man, you like you bring your baggage into it. Right. And I think that that's what the, this, this season is really going to be about for Din is his journey from being unaware of what that responsibility is to learning like, Oh, the things that I do when I killed that bounty hunter at the beginning of the episode with the jetpack with a gag, right. It was a silly joke of like the, the jetpack goes up and then the bounty hunter comes down without the jetpack. Right. Um, and the, and the child looks at him, they, they share a look and, and, and Mando kind of almost like shrugs like, eh, whatever. 
Yeah, just even going back to his bit of dialogue in the Marshall episode where he's talking to Cobb Vance and he's asked him, oh, are we going to do this in front of the child? And he goes, he's seen worse, like exactly. very casually. Exactly. And and that that indicates that Din doesn't understand the effect that he's having on the child. And we got a hint of that last season when when they're, when uh, Din and Kara are arm wrestling and the child starts to choke Kara, right? And yeah. uh, uh, he doesn't understand. There are some things that he doesn't understand. I I do think that all of that is relevant. I also still think there's a very good chance. I think there's like a it's it's like a a, a sixty forty chance here that that there's more to the child's actions than meets the eye. Um, but uh, but all of that to say, understandably and totally in a totally valid way some people had a very adverse reaction to this part of the story um and 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 i totally get it i don't want to tread that ground too much because i don't really think that it's our place to uh i sort of uh i i guess like i i i don't know like like explain how other people are feeling i think that there's enough Mm -hmm. material out there um, for people to, to, to hear it in the words of people who feel this way. Um, but, but suffice it to say that, that, that a lot of people, um, a lot, a lot of women in particular and, and non-binary, uh, individuals, uh, th- they felt that it was making light of something that, that it playing something for, for, for laughs that is, can be a very sensitive topic. Like if you, if you've ever, uh, uh, lost, a, a a potential life, um, like with a miscarriage or something like that, or, uh, or, or have, uh, issues with, with infertility, um, then, then you're going to be sensitive to this sort of thing. I mean, like, like it, it wouldn't play that way for people if it weren't for the fact that we make such an effort to understand that this is this is frog lady's last chance right these are these are her last Mm -hmm. eggs um she has to deliver them safely so that they can be fertilized um and and we're supposed to empathize with that character we're supposed to feel for her um and then there's a disconnect between that and and the child's actions i with that said, that disconnect might exist for a reason, and and we might we might learn what that is later on down the road. And I think it's I think it's unfair to judge the series as a whole based on one episode where some things happen that you don't that you don't agree with. Um, but but even in saying that, that should not negate a negative reaction like that doesn't invalidate people feeling the way that they feel and being upset. Um, but, mm-hmm. but I think that there's a, there's a fine line between, between having something in a television show or a piece of media be triggering and, and, and then jumping immediately to being offended um, and angry about it at the show or the show runners. Um, I, I do think that Lucasfilm needs some more women on staff i think that they they've done a really good job since the disney takeover of 
of bringing more diverse voices into, you know, the story group and, and into the production, like uh, above the line as well as behind the scenes. But, but it's clear based on this, that there's a little bit more work to do there because I think that uh, someone with that, with that feminine gaze perspective probably would have caught this and said, because like, let's be really clear. I think that I, personally, this is my personal opinion. I think that it's okay for it to happen once, maybe twice. Uh, I think the one at the end of the episode is a bridge too far. I think that I, yeah, the, I agree. the, the one right at the end is definitely the other ones don't feel like jokes as much. They feel like something that's yeah. happening. It's part of the story. The last one feels like it almost like it's like a Looney Tunes, Porky Pig, like the, like like the it, it, there should be like an iris wipe at the end with like a yeah. Yeah. like like it it feels like a silly joke and i think that's really the one that pushes it over the edge um where i can where i can really understand where people are coming from um where they where they make the transition from it just being something that was upsetting to something that was offensive right so i i do think that they like feminine perspectives would have caught that <laughs> and said, Hey, maybe not this one, maybe not this last one. I think that we can get away mm-hmm. without it's, it'll still work throughout the episode without the gag right at the end. Um, and then I think maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation in the way that we are. I think some people would still be saying, oof, that was rough, but, but they might be talking it more in the way that, that people with arachnophobia talk about the spider sequence in this episode. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not to equate those two things because they're very different, but but just to say that like the discourse around it, I think would be a little bit less heated, if not for that last moment, which I think pushes a lot of people over the edge, rightly so. Cause it because if if like for me, it didn't. For me, I it ended I ended the episode and I was like, Well, I think we're gonna see what happens with those eggs in the next one. And I think that you felt the same way, right, Tim? Um because what that last shot did is what it it kind of made me feel the opposite where before I was thinking, Oh, there's going to be more to this and in the next episode, hopefully. But then when that last moment happened, that's where it kind of made me feel, Oh wait, maybe it is just a gag. It undercuts the rest of it. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. So I don't know. Like I, I think I, I, I reserve my full judgment until we see the next episode. Cause I think that we will get a resolution on this story in the next episode. Um, yeah, definitely. And and so I think next week I'll have I'll have a different opinion, not a different opinion. I'll have a more full opinion on the whole thing next week. But um, and and certainly when the season is over and we see how this fits into the into the larger season, because um, like like for instance last last season, I didn't particularly. I really like the gunslinger episode. I know a lot of people don't. Uh, I I I feel like it it fit really well with the rest of the season the prisoner was the episode that actually throws me off. And I know like, that's weird. A lot of people actually really like the prisoner. It's my least favorite episode of the series so far, but in my most recent rewatch, when I watched the whole thing through, like I, I basically binged it though the week before the new season started, when I got to the prisoner, which I was kind of, I wasn't dreading, but I was kind of like, Ugh, okay, I guess, well, like I, if I'm doing it, I'm doing it right. When I watched it in the larger context of the whole series, I was like, okay, I get it. Like, I understand what the purpose of this episode was, right? To show us the transition from where he was to where he 
is right like uh, uh, to give us that juxtaposition but um it was much more palatable in the larger scheme of things um when when i knew the whole story and and where everything was going uh and i think that that'll that that will be true for this as well um but even still i know that for some people this will be an episode that needs to be skipped and 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 I think that that's valid. I think that that's totally fine. I think where we get into trouble is when we start arguing about it online, <clears throat> not in the sense of I didn't feel that way, which I think is also a totally valid perspective. Um, I think it's when we start telling another person that their experience, their lived experience in particular, isn't relevant and shouldn't be counted uh i i I, there's no other way for me to say it other than like you're being a (laughs) douchebag and uh, i further from that if your idea of engaging in fandom discussion is to go and harass people who do have this viewpoint then a i don't know why you listen to this podcast because this is not the one for you uh, and be like, like, don't listen to this podcast. I don't, we don't want you in the community if you're one of those people. Um, and I have, I have no, uh, uh, hesitance in saying something like that, because if you are the type of person who takes to Twitter or Facebook or any social media, any, in, in any form takes to any platform, uh, with the intent of making somebody feel bad about the way that they feel about a piece of media, um, just because you like it, uh, that's that's not okay. Uh, we're better than that, nope. and uh, I, those people, there's no room for those people in in this community in particular. Um, so, yeah, if you've got a problem with any of that, you don't have to listen to the podcast. I, I, but I, yeah, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous some of the stuff that some people have been saying, in particular to 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 a few of my friends. Uh, that that I just uh, it's it's one of those things where you just can't sit on the sidelines with it when when you see it happening. Uh, so I'll just I, I just I feel like I have to say that um, because it's just it's so ridiculous to me. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to be like I don't feel that way, right? But it's also really important to have the empathy to say it's not how I feel. But I I understand or would like to understand better why you feel that way and have a conversation yeah, with exactly. the person. That yeah. that that's okay. It's okay for us to not all like the same things about Star Wars. It's okay for there to be things about these these shows and movies that that bother us individually, right? Different things are gonna set people off in different ways because we all have different experiences. And if you can't understand that then you need to take a step back and and do some growing up because you're not you're really not ready <laughs> to have any conversations <laughs> with people online about stuff like this. Um, and and most importantly, like like this is probably going to alienate some people and upset some people, but I mean this in in the most um, helpful and positive way possible. If you don't have a uterus, <laughs> if you don't have ovaries. Uh, I actually, I shouldn't even say it that way. I shouldn't, shouldn't like name it that way. But like, if, if, if you are a guy and you don't understand the experience of, of, of being a woman, I, I, of of that biological component of it, um, 
I really don't think that it's your place to tell someone who does have that experience how they should feel. Um, I, and I, 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 th- I think that that's a fair thing to say. Um, but, uh, but, but I'm sure that there will be some people that get offended by that. Um, but, but it's no different than like I, a woman's body is her own damn business. That's, 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 that's what it comes down to to me. And, and that extends to opinions on things like this. Um, I, I don't have eggs. <laughs> I can't, I can't understand. I, uh, not, not even that I don't have them. My body is not designed to, to do that. It's, it's just like, that's the reality of being a biological male. Right. I, so I can't understand. I can empathize, which means that I can like hear and I can, and I can, I can listen, but I can't really understand what that feels like. And so for me to assert that, that my opinion on this episode is more or less valid than somebody else's. And I don't think that it's, it's our place to do that. Uh, It's just important that we have empathy. That's uh, everything would just be better. Everything would be better if we could all just have a little bit more empathy and try and understand the person on the other side of the argument It's so easy on the internet to everybody's anonymous. Right. Um, so anyways, I like that's, that's, I think that's everything that I want to say on it. I went on for way longer than I wanted to even <laughs> well said though. Thanks. <laughs> I, I, I mean like it's, I've been, I've been thinking about it a lot. I even like, look, I did an illustration for my Mando Monday illustration of baby Yoda with the egg canister. And I, and, and I, I, I like the illustration. I, cause I like this part of the story. Like I actually, um, however it nets out, I think that it'll, it'll have been a satisfying part of the journey for me. That's my experience. So that's what I wanted to draw. And then as this controversy kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger over the week, I have a little bit of regret about that. Not because I, 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 not because I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I don't want to cause any controversy, but because I now realize that like, like that illustration might actually hurt some people. And that's never my goal, right? Like that's not, that's the antithesis of of the reason why I draw. Like I draw stuff because like I have an idea or whatever and I feel like, oh, I want to get that out. I want to share that with people because it makes me happy. It might make somebody else happy. Right. And I know that some people have liked it. So so like there, it's it's a it's just as complex as the issue with the with the episode. But I'll say this, like I'm doing I'm partnering with the uh, uh, Daydreamer Fantasy uh, who make pins. They make uh, uh, enamel pins. And we've got the Padme one uh, uh, that's going to be the first one that we do, which I'm super excited about. This Baby Yoda illustration was supposed to be the next one. And I made the decision today, uh, particularly after a bunch of stuff happened today um, that I won't get into the details of. But but uh, like one of my friends is being really, really hammered by this whole thing and like and, and they're being harassed online. And so I, I, I talked to, to, to the guy who, who does these pins and I was like, man, I can't do it. I, we can't do this one. And he's already paid me for the design. I was like, we can't, I'll draw a different baby Yoda. We'll draw something else. I don't think it's a good idea to put this one out because I don't want to put something out that is going to cause harm in any way. So like, that's, that's kind of, I think where I'm at with it. And, uh, I, 
I I know if I think if we could all just be a little bit more more thoughtful about things like that, and even if you do say the wrong thing, make the wrong joke or whatever, to have the the um, again, it's I'm just coming back to that word empathy to understand how what you did might hurt somebody, and you know. It, be apologetic about it at least um and and try and do better in the future that's the that's the goal that's that's how we all become better people that's what it's one of the main things that star wars is about right so yes <laughs> i think it's all we should we as a fandom should be so much better at this because these stories that we obsess over are about it just uh, sometimes it just makes you think like or do some people watch the same things we're watching who call themselves i'm using air quotes here fans of this yeah, yeah exactly i act yeah, the total opposite you, way of what it teaches you put you. The, the 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 perfect uh fine point on it right there it's like i do feel that way sometimes where i watch an episode of mandalorian and i see the people people online talking about it in certain ways and i'm like oh, i'm sorry are we watching the same show because even the prisoner which isn't my favorite episode like i say it's my least favorite episode it's still great. <laughs> it's still got so many things in it that I love. Um, I, I mean, one of those characters comes back in this episode. I, I, you know, like it's like, yeah. Anyways, we need to move on with the with the with the recap here because I'm realizing like we're not even there yet. We haven't even introduced those <laughs> characters yet. We have so much left to talk about. So let's uh, let's get into it. where are we at. Uh, right. A bleeping alarm. Yeah, a, a beeping alarm wakes Din from his sleep, and he heads to the cockpit to find the Razor Crest flanked by two New Republic X-Wings. The pilots are sweeping the sector for suspicious activity, and they request that Din send them a ping to prove he's not Imperial. After running his information, they realize that the Razor Crest was involved in a raid on a New Republic prison ship, and they lock their S-foils in attack position. I love this scene it is so good there's such a wonderful (laughs) blend of the mundane being pulled over by the cops right um Mm. mixed with the fantastical of the fact that it's the razor quest razor crest it's it's mando it's two x-wings it's dave filoni in one and it's (laughs) uh it's appa from kim's convenience I, I want I want to I want to pronounce his name properly, so I'm just going to bring it up um, because it's one of those ones that I need to see it in front of me before I can. Uh, uh, Paul uh, Sun Hyung Lee, I, I who is Appa in on in uh, Kim's Convenience, which if you've never watched Kim's Convenience, highly recommend it. It's a Canadian show, so I'm very proud of that fact. Paul is a Canadian, and he is a massive Star Wars fan. Like when I say massive, like us, like, like he is, he is one of us. Nice. Uh, he cosplays. He's a member of the 501st and the rebel Legion. He's got multiple costumes, stormtroopers. Uh, like he's got a scout trooper outfit. He's got with, with a baby Yoda in a satchel, by the way, uh, he's got an <laughs> Imperial officer uniform, uh, an X-wing pilot uniform of his own. That is different from his new Republic one. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's got, he, he is a, he is a true blue, uh, Star Wars fan. So seeing him in this episode was, I stood up, like I was on my feet and, and like pointing at the screen, like, oh my God, 
it's Appa, <laughs> and uh, and it just it made me so happy. And then on top of it, he's awesome. He does he delivers a great performance um, as as uh, uh, Captain Carson Treva. I think I got that right. Um, and and it's like I said, it's this perfect blend of the ridiculousness of Star Wars. You got a a, a Tin Man in a spaceship ferrying <laughs> a frog lady and her eggs. Uh, that his uh, his weird green dog is eating um, <laughs> to quote uh, a couple of the memes out there. Uh, there's the the Uber, <laughs> the Uber <laughs> review <laughs> meme that's out there. Uh, I just saw that one. So <laughs> good. I, I, and and that, but then it's like this very mundane situation of like there there are a couple of cops, even though they're X wing pilots, they're they're New Republic Navy, right? But the but the yep. the tone that he uses, and when when Mando says, "May the Force be with you," and then yeah. and then uh, Carson returns with, "And also with you," which is so like for anybody who spent any time in in church. Uh, in in a Christian church, like they'll uh, whether Catholic or Anglican, um, I'm sure some of the other denominations. But the the and also with you is like right out of right out of the book. I I and I, so it's just so funny um, the way that that all plays out. But it's so great when they get to the moment where where he's like uh, where where Trapper Wolf comes over and he says, "Hey." Uh, can you switch over to channel two? And you're just like, well, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> this is going to be bad. Cause that's the moment of like the other cop gets out of the car and comes back in. Cause they've run the plates. Right. And they go like, Hey, yeah. uh, can I talk to you for a sec? And the, and the cops step back away and you're like, is there like, it's in, in movies and TV. It's always when the character like leans out the, the, the window and is like, I'm, is there a problem officer? And the cop turns around and goes, just stay in the car. Right. Uh, and uh, and and that's when you have to make the decision of uh, am I going to stay and deal with this or is this when I peel out and a car chase starts? And obviously we know how this plays out. But uh, yeah, it's so good. It's just like everything about this just works so well for me. Um, and then it goes right into uh, an incredible uh, uh, chase star wars yeah uh, uh the razor crest i keep on saying razor quest uh razor crest and two x-wings it's just so good it's just so good why don't you why don't you do the next part uh and we'll we'll keep talking yeah din guns his engines and banks the crest toward the nearest planet leading the x-wings on a high-speed chase through the clouds and down to the icy surface below he manages to lose his pursuers in a tight canyon but he clips one of his own engines on the canyon wall, sending the razor crest skidding across the frozen ground. As it comes to a stop, the ice beneath the ship collapses, sending it plummeting down into a cavern below. The impact of the crash knocks Din and the frog lady unconscious. Uh, yeah, what a great sequence. It was, this was beautifully shot. I think yeah. it's one of the most beautiful sequences in yeah. the show. Just seeing the X-Wings fly in the in the atmosphere amongst the sun, it just looked incredible. It reminded me of the shot in the first Force Awakens tease, where we see the X wings for the first yeah. time going across the lake, and the suns in the background, which unfortunately was cut in the final film. But it looked really great here. It's some of the first person views from the cockpit we were seeing in the X wings. Just everything about the sequence was just so beautiful. It was great. Yeah, yeah. The 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 color, the 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 action, like the the choreography of it. It all just works so, so well. Um, 
And man, I look, I'm, I'm just going to say this. I honestly think that these scenes look better than the movies, than the recent movies. I, I'm going to keep solo out of that. Cause I actually think that of the, uh, I, if if i if i had to rank which i don't but i'm going to i'm gonna say solo is number one in terms of like the movies and and like the 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 visual effects um and and how realistic everything looks after that i would say it's rogue one which people who listen to this podcast should know that's that's a lot coming from me the final (laughs) sequence in rogue one like the battle over scarif in rogue one is so good you would swear it was models and not uh, uh, CG. They just, they nail the look and feel of, of A New Hope so well. Yeah. Um, and I think they owe a lot of that to Star Wars Rebels, where they where, where that crew learned a lot of the tricks. And I think that they might have passed that knowledge on to ILM. But I, uh, and then I would say probably The Last Jedi, and then The Force Awakens, and then Rise of Skywalker at the bottom. Rise of Skywalker looks so CG to me. Like, 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 like the, as much as I love some of the sequences, like I love the opening of Rise of Skywalker with the, the, um, the light speed hopping, I, I, or skipping. What is it? Light speed skipping. skipping, yeah. yeah. Um, like I love that sequence. I think it's great. It looks like CG. It, it looks like a cartoon, right? Um, it doesn't, it doesn't look, I, I, I don't buy it as being real in the same way that I do with those other sequences that I'm talking about or, the, or those other films that I'm talking about. Um, it just looks very CG to me, but at the same time, I think that a lot of rise of Skywalker was rushed. Um, and they didn't know they were making it up as they went. So I don't think that ILM had the same, the same, timeline that they did with other stuff and then with solo i think the reason why it ends up that way is because of the cinematography i think it's because of the way that that movie is lit it's very natural uh by by intention and i know that a lot of people say like it's too dark well uh this is not a good solution but if you have a better tv that's not the case because <laughs> i just watched it on my on my 65 inch uh lg nano 90 and it looked amazing like unbelievable um in 4k on that tv so like if you have the opportunity to watch it like that um i think that you'll change your opinion i think it's just not ideal for a lot of home setups and a lot of people at home don't have their tv set to the proper settings i i paid best buy 200 bucks to come and have the professional like cue like key everything right so that it's perfect wow. <laughs> not just for the tv but also for the room like they put like a thing on the tv that like measures the light coming out of the tv as well as the light in the room Dang, so man. that like the brightness levels and everything are all adjusted appropriately so that it's perfect for that room um and so yeah like 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 it's it it looks as good as it can look i i on my tv I, I and I don't even have like the the nicest most expensive TV. It's kind of middle of the road, but I I it, it looked fantastic, and I think like that goes a long way to to doing this. And the, all of that to say, that's why Mando looks better than any of it, because Mando is matching up three things. Right, you have the models, you have the volume, which which includes like like full scale. Uh, 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 sets right 
of of things like the Razor Crest, like parts of the Razor Crest that they're matching to. And then you have the full CG. And and it all needs to be seamless. It all needs to work together. So the CG is lit to match the models. The models are the best example you're going to get of natural lighting because they're real physical objects being hit by real light, right? So having that reference, they talked about it in the gallery, uh, in the, in the, the, the Disney gallery Mandalorian, uh, episodes where they talked about, about bringing back the models and, and doing the razor crest and stuff that like, especially making the ship shiny and all that, like it's so, it looks so good because they're doing, I can't wait to see the behind the scenes on this episode, um, to see how they pulled off the, the X wings. Cause I want, I, I really hope that they used models, which I think they did for a lot of it. Um, and then the, and then the spiders, cause the spiders look so good. They look so good. They look great. Yeah. Um, Seamless. Really? Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll continue here. Uh, unless there, is there anything else you want to say about that? Uh, no, I'll just echo exactly what you said. <laughs> uh, Din awakens to find the Razor Crest severely damaged and the contents of his cargo hold strewn about. He frantic- frantically searches for the precious eggs only to find the child eating another one. He chastises him again and secures the container. After assessing the damage to the ship, Din suggests they stay put, stay sheltered against the brutal cold, and get some rest. The frog lady croaks in protest but Din can't understand what she's trying to say. Uh, I think continue with the next one and then we'll talk about it. The frog lady finds the remains of the dismantled protocol droid Q90 stored in the cargo bay, and she modifies the droid's vocabulator to translate her speech into basic so she can communicate with the Mandalorian. She refuses to allow the last of her eggs to die here in the cold after all she and her husband have gone through, and she demands that they continue on their journey. When Din is hesitant, she questions his honor and points out that keeping one's word is part of the Mandalorian code. Uh, yeah, the, what a what a what a great scene! Couple of scenes this is. Uh, we do have another one, like the eggs, and 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 there is a little bit of a gag here. Not the eating of the egg, but the way that Mando handles it, where he's like, "I found them," <laughs> right? Like where it is, <laughs> I I find that to be humorous, but. Um, this next scene, uh, there's a couple of things that really stand out to me. I love the visual of the child sitting on the crate with his little tray, his little Lunchables yeah. tray <laughs> in front of the heater that just like it, it was like a snap right back to the Empire Strikes Back of Luke with his rations tray yes. and Yoda. Like mm-hmm. when we first are introduced to Yoda, it's such a great. This is the way that you do references and callbacks, in my opinion. Like, this is the best way to do it. Not by, like, winking and nodding at the camera. I I mean, like, R5 in the last episode was a little bit of that, of, of like, kind of like a wink at the camera. But it didn't stop the episode. It didn't slow anything down. It was just there for people who know. Um, but this even more so it's like, this wasn't even about like, Oh, look, they're using the same rations that Luke had. That's not the case. Right. It's just like, there's a vibe to it and an aesthetic that immediately transports you back to that visual and, and connects the child with Yoda in this very sub almost subliminal unconscious way. Um, 
just the way that it's lit, the way the 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 way that everybody's kind of gathered around this thing, the the look of the little metal tray. It's just it was it it I automatically like instantly thought of that of that moment of of you know oh can I get your ship out <laughs> right I, yeah. I according to Yoda uh, the child won't get very big of eating food of that yeah kind, exactly so. <laughs> and he doesn't and he's not eating it right like I think that's one of the things yeah, that's right. is that he's not <laughs> he's true. just kind of sitting there looking at it um and uh yeah I I just uh I love it and then Mando goes to sleep and is woken up by the voice of Zero, which anytime that we can get Richard Ayoade uh, in in the show, uh, in anything really, uh, I'm all for it. Um, but what a what a great uh, uh, surprise for the episode! Um, yeah, and the, just a great way, a different way to have an alien creature communicate with someone yeah. who speaks basic you know what it actually reminds me of the the young jedi knight books why they have um is it is it is it lobaka no is yeah. it yeah uh, yeah yeah lobaka is the jedi he's like the they didn't have the word padawan back then so he was just an apprentice i think i i it, along with jason and jaina and he had they 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 built I think I think it was Jaina built him a little like it was it was just described in the book as like a small C three PO head. It's like a little protocol droid head that translates for him. Um, and it it kind of reminded me of that. It's like oh, it's a droid without any of the droid. It's just the vocabulator and a translator, right? Um, and and I love I love the aesthetic of it, especially on my second watch of the episode. You see that there's like these little blinking lights. They're literally Christmas lights. Like they're literally little <laughs> LED Christmas lights. Um, like like just sort of blinking and twinkling. And uh, and that's such a that's one of the things that I feel like the sequels are lacking a little bit. Everything looks a little bit too much like it was made for the movie in those, as opposed to the aesthetic. And and it's definitely something that the prequels lack entirely. Other than the Jedi communicator, which is very, very, <laughs> very recognizable as a lady's razor. But anyways, I, I, the, the, one of the great things about, about the original trilogy and the aesthetic of it is sort of the, the found material component of it, of like, it's just barely recognizable, right? To the point where it's like, it's familiar, but it's, it's different it's weird right and so like that's i think that's why lightsabers work so well is because like they're it's like those those pieces look familiar but there's something about the combination that feels fantastical right and so to have Mm. this droid hanging up on the wall brought back to life and these little christmas twinkle lights just kind of pulsing I, I around its neck I it was to me it was like oh that's so cool um and then on top of that the way that she just like invokes the Mandalorian code sort of thing and and Din is is compelled to get back to work as much as the guy just wants to take a nap he just wants to have a rest. <laughs> um yeah anything what, what, what do you think no yeah I, I like that whole sequence again just the great use of the droid from last season and again yeah. just 
having not just translating what she was saying, but it was like she was talking through the droid and just visually and just how it sounded was just really cool, I thought. And again, like you said, just Bando just really showing uh the good guy that he is. I mean, it might take a, sometimes someone has to point out someone needs to be done, but he's going to do it <laughs> because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. So just pointing out that like he is, we're not pointing out, but just like reminding us that he is a hero at the end of the day. Um, mm-hmm. uh, even if I, uh, uh, sometimes uh, he's just, he's just tired. <laughs> he just wants to rest. Yeah. <laughs> um, here, I, I will continue here. Uh, compelled by the code, Din grabs some tools and heads outside to set about repairing the ship. After a short while, while the child gets his attention and he realizes that the frog lady has wandered off. Din follows her footprints through a network of ice caves and finds her soaking in a natural hot spring with her eggs to keep them warm. Uh, he tells her that he can't protect her this far from the ship with night fast approaching and begins gathering the eggs out of the water and putting them back in their container. The child reaches for one and Dim's, Din stops him. So he goes wandering off and finds a cluster of other eggs littering the cavern floor nearby. Um, this is so cool. This is so cool because I think so seldom do we see alien characters in a different setting and this is a weird thing to say but undressed right <laughs> like if you really think yeah, about right. it if you think about star wars and you think about a lot of the the aliens and stuff like that like we're so used to just seeing them in one way that that it's it, it's it then becomes weird to see them in another sort of setting right but with this it's like she's she's undressed she's in the water she's she's bathing right and it it there there's just something so um i it's just like kind of grounding right it's just kind of like oh like like she's real she's real the clothes aren't part of the costume they're clothes she's an alien yeah right like she's this she's whatever frog creature she is um and it, it it's just so cool and and it and it sort of lends itself to to a moment in a minute when she's when she's bounding right when she starts leaping um where you're like, oh yeah, it's that's not a person in a costume. That's a frog. That's a frog lady, right? Yeah. Um, even though very much it is just a person in a costume, but it just kind of it just sells it so well. And uh, and the moment where <laughs> Din puts his finger out, and he goes, no, no, <laughs> it, yeah. not once but twice. <laughs> it's so good because it is very much that's how you talk to a one year old sometimes. That's, that's yeah. they, they they need clear. Uh, uh, somewhat forceful direction from time to time. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, so, so the, so the kid walks off to find something else to snack on. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and I just like the environment that we're in with the ice caves. I mean, yeah, we've seen quite a few snow planets in star Wars yeah. before, but in live action, the way this ice cave looked with the hot springs, it just had a very cool, unique look for an ice planet yeah. that we haven't seen in live action star yeah Wars the before. the water really almost lovely. like it was almost kind of glowing it just the way that it mm-hmm. was lit it it felt it felt really kind of like magical it you could yeah it, this is the thing it felt refreshing right like <laughs> like did. when you looked at it you were like that does look pretty good that does look pretty good i could definitely go for a dip 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but then if you pan over to the left, it's like, mm, maybe not the best place for a hot spring guys. I, <laughs> I and, and that's the, like the, the next moment that we're going to get to, uh, why, why don't you yeah. continue? The child curiously peels open one of the eggs and gobbles up the tiny spider like creature inside the surrounding eggs begin to hatch. And soon the cavern is sworn with hundreds of tiny spiders followed by much larger ones from the surrounding tunnels. The Mandalorian, the child, and the frog lady flee back to the Razor Crest. Mando takes out as many spiders as he can with his blaster and flamethrower, but more keep coming. A giant spider follows them from above, and Din uses explosive charges to injure the beast and collapse the tunnel behind them. Um, yeah, man. I Look, I feel for you if you... Uh, have have legitimate arachnophobia. So uh, there's a lot of people who are like, "Oh, I'm afraid of spiders," and it's like, "No, you're you are made uncomfortable by spiders, like we all are." Um, it's a very human response to 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 get the creepy crawlies when you see a spider, particularly a nice big clicky clacky one. You know what I mean? I yeah. I but like like true arachnophobia is is like an uncontrollable fear of spiders. And uh, if you are one of those people, like I get, like this would be a very difficult episode to watch. I'm just going to really quickly connect that back to the eggs. If you can have empathy and compassion for a person with arachnophobia, you should be able to have empathy and compassion for a person uh, who is uh, emotionally triggered by baby Yoda eating the eggs. Um, but, but it is interesting. There's sort of like a, uh, a, a larger uh, sort of symbolic component here where he doesn't eat those eggs. So then he goes over and he eats one of these ones. There's been no consequences for eating those other eggs. Right. And, and maybe Din's not following through on stuff and maybe he's not doing a good enough job of explaining to the child. There's a breakdown in communication, right? He can't communicate with the, with the frog lady frog lady can't communicate with him. Din can't really communicate with the child. They, I think they understand each other to a certain degree, but, but the child really doesn't have a lot of, uh, doesn't really have any, any words, any vocabulary, right? Yeah. It's just, it's just did, tone. And, did you notice though, too, this episode, it seemed like the most we've heard out of the child in any the, other. Uh, the, I, I would say that the closest to it would probably be, uh, when, uh, when they when they bust into the uh, when him and IG Eleven bust into the town in the second is that second the last episode um, or maybe in the last episode that that's is the last, last episode the of season finale. yeah um, he makes a lot of noise in that episode he does a lot of like cooing and and giggling and stuff and then in in the midst of the fight he makes a lot of noise and then at the end of the episode uh, when he when um, when grief talks to him and says do the magic hand thing. Uh, he he yeah. makes a little bit of noise. So I would say other than that episode, like, uh, or um, this, I think you're right. I think this is definitely the most that we've heard from the child. Um, I also think it's the most active the child has been like, like, and uh, what I mean by that is like, he is a, he's a participant in the story. His actions affect the outcome, which has not been the case. I, he has been very much a MacGuffin, like the thing that needs to be retrieved or protected throughout the series. But in this, I mean, last week the child was inconsequential, right? Like, like Mm -hmm. if the child wasn't there, the episode still could have played out the way that it plays out. 
Um, I actually heard from a few people that was one of the few complaints from yeah, this season premiere. Yeah, um, I I read it as more that like the like that Mando and and the kid like they've got they have a a vibe now, right? Like they like they they get each other and like and yeah. the, the child understands what he's doing and so stays out of trouble when he knows that there's actually trouble. Um, but then in this episode, we see that like it's clearly not a hundred percent. And uh, and yeah, so so it is to me the first one where where the child really becomes an active participant in the in the plot, right? Um, and not a mm-hmm. passive participant. So uh, so I think like that has a lot to do with it. Is that is that even if like there's as much vocalization as there is in previous stuff, it's more so that that his actions are actually leading to um, consequences as opposed to when he was eating the eggs, there weren't any consequences. Right. But then he eats, he turns around and he goes, he eats the spider egg. And obviously that sets off a chain of events. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I got definite like alien vibes, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like, of course. like the movie alien, um, the way that the egg splits at the top. Right. Uh, in fact, so much so that when it happened and he pulled that thing out at first, I was like, are they, is that a face hugger? Like, are they just, is this going to be just like a thing where he eats it? And then Mando's going to be like, oh, that's gross. Don't do that. Um, but, uh, but then obviously we see these, they're very Krikna like spiders. I don't know if they are, if, if we would call them Krikna. I think that we would in the same way that, um, that Nibre mantas are, are treated in the Clone Wars. Uh, where in the first season of Clone Wars, we see a lot of Nibre and we see them in different sizes, <laughs> different varieties. Um, and now obviously we've seen like Lothcats are, are all over the galaxy. Tuca are all over the galaxy as well. Right. Like there's sort of, there, there yeah. are these, there are a few of these animals that have spread uh, that, that have sort of uh, made their way across the galaxy for whatever reason. So, to me, it's like these are Krikna in the same way that a Black Widow is one type of spider and a Tarantula is another, right? And if you look at them, they're very different, but they're also the same thing, right? Um, or even, yeah, I think an even better analogy because there's some different physiology between these animals. Uh, uh, a spider versus a scorpion. They're both arachnids, right? But they're also very different because um, because they they share a common ancestor, which is the Ralph McQuarrie concept art from Empire Strikes Back. Right. These were originally supposed to be yeah. part of a sequence on Dagobah um, uh, that very much like this sequence very much borrows from with the eggs and with the very large spider. Um, but it's not technically a spider. It's not technically an insect. It's something different. It's a it's an alien creature, right? Because it's got that real gross mouth uh that we deal with later <laughs> yeah but, that was reminded me of the raptor mouth <laughs> yeah yeah i i agree yeah i got i got the same sort of thing with that where it was like ooh, yeah it, it, it very much reminds me of the um in the cockpit of the falcon right <laughs> yep exactly <laughs> i i yeah i mean like my worry was that it was gonna like like get its teeth in and sort of like start to rotate them Cause it had that round mouth and it was going to like, it was going to like make a circle almost in the uh, glass and be able to get through. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, man, I, I, let's continue here. Uh, the group makes it back to the razor crest, but the spiders are still hot on their heels and they swarm the ship's cargo bay. 
Din holds them back with his flamethrower long enough to seal the cockpit door and sits at the controls. The crest is still badly damaged, but he is able to get the engines powered up. As the ship begins to shakily take off, the giant spider leaps on top of it and sends it crashing back to the ground. The monster slams its jaws repeatedly against the cockpit, but before it can break through, a sudden barrage of laser fire strikes the creature down. And uh, there's a great moment in this as they're they're escaping into it, um, and and uh, Din's trying to hold back these spiders, and a few of the smaller ones make it through, and uh, and they descend on Baby Yoda, right? And mm-hmm. this is why I say like like it, it's hard to judge this story on its own merits because it does feel very much like there's some unresolved stuff. Um, Cause this moment as the child is in peril and Mando is trying to save all of them, we get these blaster shots that come out of nowhere. And then it's revealed that it was actually frog lady and she saved the child, which is an interesting turnabout. She doesn't know about the eggs being eaten. Um, which some people have sort of criticized that like, Oh, if they're so important, how come she hasn't like kept count of them? Um, and maybe, maybe she does notice. She just hasn't let on about it or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And yet, and yet, even though, even though the child has done these, these horrible things, uh, he has definitely, you know, he's, he's committed a sin, right? Like, uh, uh, is he an innocent? Is he not? It's sort of unclear regardless um there's a there's a there's a respect for life that i think is an important lesson for the child and i to me that's almost i think that's what it's meant to be is that is that in spite of his actions um and his sort of callousness because i do think that he is somewhat aware right that uh if, if he is in fact eating them if that, if that turns out to be the case, I think that he's, he's a, my read of it is that he's somewhat aware of what he's doing and that it's not okay. Um, but he does it anyways. And so when she saves him, there's a little bit of an exchange between them of, Oh, even though I've done this thing, I'm still worth saving. Right. Like it's so, Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there, there's an interesting component there that that I'm that that I'm really curious to see how it's going to play out in the next in the next episode. I, yeah, and that's why it makes that final shot more frustrating too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because because you feel more. like maybe he should have learned a lesson. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think that might. I think you might have just hit the nail on the head. That might be one of the reasons why it is so jarring at the end. Um, and it could like this might just have been bad judgment on the on in the on the part of the, the, the creatives, right. That the, between Peyton Reed and, uh, and, and, uh, John and Dave, that, that, uh, they just, they, they were just so enamored with the gag that they missed that mm-hmm. it undermines some of the story. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean like what a tense, what a tense scene. I mean like, uh, two times in this episode, the child is put in, in mortal danger and we feel it like as much as you know like okay he'll be okay you're kind of like is he gonna get hurt for real though like is are we gonna cross that bridge where he actually gets hurt hurt mm-hmm. uh in a in a way that's going to be difficult to come back from because he's definitely fallen and, and and those those stupid scout troopers punching him but uh 
Uh, they got theirs. I, I, <laughs> yes, they did. yeah, I don't know. It, it, uh, it, it definitely had me on the edge of my seat. It was very well constructed in that way. Uh, we got, we got two left. Why don't we, uh, we do the next one and, and we'll, we'll start to wrap this up. All right. Din heads outside to see who has come to their rescue and finds out the New Republic pilots who pursued him earlier are now blasting the last of the spiders from the Razor Crest hull. After reviewing security footage from the incident on the prison ship, they realize that the Mandalorian helped capture three dangerous criminals and tried to protect the life of the security officer. Considering their debt paid, they take off, leaving Din to repair his ship alone. I... Uh... A great little deus ex machina that they set up. And I do love that. This is where I say, like, like I think that I can't imagine that this situation with the eggs will not have some sort of a conclusion to it. Um, it, it has to. Because when you look at how the rest of this show has played out, this scene is a great example. Din's actions on board the prison ship when he stands up against the the rest of the crew to to try and save Davin's life, even though he fails at that, it does come back and he is rewarded for those actions. Mm-hmm. All like episodes later, in a, a another season, it comes back and it's an important part of the story. And and I love the component where where he's like, are you going to arrest me? And they're like, we should, but these are trying times, right? And you get that moment of like, look, we recognize that you are one of the good guys, even if you operate on the fringe, right? You're you're on the outs with the Bounty Hunter Guild. Although maybe he's not now, right? Because Grief said that he would, but we don't know how much of that was him. I... I uh, posturing to to for the trap for the for the the client right, but he said he did yeah. say that he would talk to the guild and get his record cleared and all that right. Um, but yeah, it, it, so I, I don't know where where his status is there because what he does is technically legal in a certain from a certain point of view right. Um, but but he is he does operate on the fringes. It's the outer rim. It's a little bit more a little bit more. It's very much more lawless than than some of the other places in the galaxy. And I uh, I and so these these two uh, New Republic officers are going to they're going to let it slide because they would rather that, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it, they, they kind of just basically say to him, like, keep your nose clean. Like, like we know, I, I, I like to think that, that there's a file on Din Djarin on, on the razor crest and that, um, they did need to bring him in for questioning and they needed to talk to him to clarify some stuff. But like one of those things is probably, uh, look, we know that you were, in this place and you did this and we know that you were in this place and you did this and we know that you were in this place, but we don't know what role you had to play in it. And it's like one of like what I'm alluding to there is like, we know that you were there when Moff Gideon and his troops landed on, on uh, Navarro. And we know that they were wiped out and you were seen on Navarro. (laughs) 
are you part of that? Are you a friend or a foe? Right? Like, I think that that's where the new Republic is at. Um, and I think that these two, these two pilots make a judgment call in the moment of, look, it's better to have them out there taking down Imperials or at least distracting them so that we can do our jobs. Right. Like, like he is a good guy. He is on the right side of this um, because he's fighting the Imperials. But at the same time, he's a bounty hunter, so he's just as likely to work for them. Or is he, right? Like, there's there's a lot of questions there, and I think that that's sort of the way that it's played out. Um, and it's all subtext. It's the great thing about The Mandalorian is that so many of these things are open to interpretation, and they're, and they're subtextual. Um, and it all comes across in the performance. I, I, <laughs> I just love Dave in this role. I think he's so good at it. And knowing knowing him as well as we do, the type of fans that we are that have seen him on stage multiple times in person, um, and and uh, I am I am so glad and so fortunate to have been in the room with him several times and talked to him uh, a, a handful um, and engaged with him. It's like he's not acting; he's just saying the lines. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like, exactly. like that character that he plays as Trapper Wolf <laughs> is just Dave Filoni, but that's fine. It's like, because he, because it works for the character, right? Like that sort of that, the way that, that he's like so casual about things. Um, I really love it in the prisoner when he's like sort of flicking switches and he's like, ah, they're launching a gunship. And he's, yeah. he's just kind of like, he's just got that casual tone to him that he has in real life when he's talking about things that the rest of us, would our minds would literally explode. It's like, well, I was talking to George about Mandalorians and where they fit in with the Jedi. And you're like, how are you talking about this so casually? (laughs) (laughs) You are a direct link to George Lucas. And here you are standing in front of us telling us about it. Uh, In one of those instances with George Lucas sitting next to him, man, that was awesome. (laughs) Uh, You were, you were that where you were there for that one, right? For, no, uh, you weren't. That Anaheim? was that was was that Anaheim? No, no that was the second one in Orlando. You weren't there for that one. Oh no. man, I'll tell you, that was a treat when we sat down for the. That was that would have been the season three, season four of Clone Wars premiere. Uh, and George came out and uh, like like they they did the whole screening or whatever. And uh, it was it was the celebration in 2012. Um, so, yeah, that would have been like that would have been season four, the season four premiere that we got to see. Uh, and we watched the whole thing. And uh, it's, I think they played like two episodes or something like that. And uh, and then they sit down for the Q&A. And I think it was. I think it was Dave. It, it was it was David Collins who was moderating I'm pretty sure. And then it was Dave Filoni and Joel Aaron, uh, who we'd seen like several times that, that week sort of thing at different panels. Um, and then they were like, Oh, we got a special guest. And, and George came out and sat down and it was like, he's, he's just, he's, he wasn't on the, the, the bill. Like he wasn't, it wasn't scheduled or at least we weren't told that he was going to be a part of that panel. And when we, the, uh, there were reserve, there was reserved seating for, for press. And so it was like the first like four rows 
was like us was was like the group of us like me and crystal and uh and uh carl and jason and steve clausen and riley and bethany from star wars report uh and 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 a few other people and uh uh and we're like, I think we were in like the third or fourth row and, and, and George Lucas came out and it was just like, what? This is unbelievable. Uh, anyways, that's just a nice little flashback to celebrations past. I cannot wait for 2022 when we can all be in the same room again. Uh, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's yeah. I, now I'm really sad because we, because we missed out on it this year, but anyways, all of that back to the fact that like, I like, like see whenever we see Dave on screen in these, in these moments, it's so great. I love it because um, they both did such a great job, both, both him and, and, and Paul in this episode uh, playing these characters and, uh, and they, they're, they're now most certainly fan favorites that are going to get their own uh, Funko pops. Uh, and, and that sort of, that's sort of the, the benchmark now, right. Is like, Oh, did you get a Funko pop? for your character because because eventually everybody's going to get a funko pop because they just keep making those things there's like 500 of them for just for star wars at this point Um, (laughs) pretty much (laughs) it's crazy but i yeah i it's just it's just so great because they are they are fans like us but then but they're on the inside of it but that doesn't change the fact that they are fans like us and uh and and i it, i can it still comes through yeah <laughs> yeah it still comes through and there's this there's this special joy of seeing these two grown men in their costumes with their blaster rifles standing with their leg up on the cockpit of a x-wing starfighter shooting away at pretend spiders that you're just <laughs> like Man, what a dream come true that must be. Like it just it makes me happy knowing how much it must have made them happy. You know what I mean? Like you can just live vicariously through yeah. it. It's so good. Um and yeah, I love it. I hope that we see these characters. I see I hope I guarantee we're gonna see Trapper Wolf again. The fact that we've now seen him twice, we're gonna see him again. But I bet you I mean, I don't want to see it, but I bet you Dave's gonna want him to go out in a blaze of glory or something <laughs> eventually yeah. where yeah. his ship oh gets God. blasted. He yeah. And he gets, do, he gets to do, he gets to do in a fireball. Oh my God. Yeah. I, you're right. Your read on that is a hundred percent correct. That, that Dave certainly wants to do that at some point, see himself blown up like, like, uh, uh, ro- like ro- uh, red one or, or Porkins or bigs. Uh, yeah. What that, again? These are things that that Star Wars fans dream about. Um, <laughs> not everybody gets to be Wedge, uh, and somehow just live through everything. I yeah. I uh, let's. Let, I'm going to finish off this episode. Uh, Din manages to fix the crest up just enough to get the engines working and the cockpit pressurized. The frog lady clutches her precious, precious cargo as the ship makes an unsteady takeoff into space. And the child slurps down one more stolen egg as the ship limps forward to its destination. Uh, and that's the end of the episode. I, and that's what this, well, of course, when the music comes in, <laughs> that, that great ending. And you're music. already eagerly anticipating next Friday. Yeah. <laughs> it's already like, uh, when is the next one? Um, yeah. Uh, tomorrow night. Uh, if we stay up late. I, I, it, it, yeah. So good, man. I, I love this episode. 
it's actually probably in my top five episodes for the series so far. I, I which I'm obviously hesitant to say for all of the reasons that we've discussed tonight. But f- oh. but for me, for for what I enjoy about Star Wars, which is the weird stuff and the surprises, um, and I love creatures uh, in Star Wars. I, there's just something so special about it. It's this one's got like a very John Carter of Mars vibe to it with with the the environment and the and the creatures and stuff i it just yeah it 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 makes me very happy um and i was grinning from ear to ear the whole time for the this whole episode i loved it from start to finish um but i totally recognize why some people are having an issue with it and that's that's a an okay thing uh it 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 how do I say this? It definitely does diminish my enjoyment of the show of not of the show, but of this episode, but it does not. It's I, I say that, but it's not a negative thing. Um, Cause it just, it just m- makes me think from somebody else's perspective. And that's not a bad thing. That's a, that's a positive in my books. I, I, we just have to be better about how we, talk about this stuff and how we understand each other and uh and 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 try to right because that's kind of the whole like what a what a what a ironic coincidence uh that there's this this miscommunication in the fandom uh in in the harassment and 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 people being really upset on both sides of it when this whole episode, if you're paying attention, is about miscommunication and the inability yeah. to get your point across, right? Whether it's the very literal or like the very surface obvious one of the frog lady can't communicate with Mando and vice versa until she she rewires the droid, or it's the the fact that that the child and and Mando can't seem to to understand each other as as well as uh, we thought that they did, right? Um, d- down to the potential of us as an audience not understanding the child's actions, right? Um, the, it's just like the whole episode, and 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 the 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 New Republic pilots. It's like there's a miscommunication there. Uh, if they hadn't sure. locked S foils which was a very aggressive move, then Din might not have done what he did. Right. Like, like if they had, if they had approached that differently, if they had communicated that differently, as opposed to getting ready to attack, making a very aggressive move, it might've, it might've played out very differently. Right. So like the whole episode to me, that's, that is what it's about is, 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 uh, miscommunication um so it's a lesson that i think that we can all take to heart and uh, uh man that's when star wars is at its best is when it's teaching us something as well as entertaining us um yep any final thoughts on this episode before we jump into the mailbag yeah just that it was definitely an episode i wasn't expecting going into it being the second episode of the season and how the premiere left off but it was one i still really enjoyed just how kind of different and unique it was with its setting and its premise and then just getting some really great visuals with the x-wing chase and then with the spider sequence at the end yeah. kind of giving uh 
a horror movie type of action sequence, uh, which that was very suspenseful. So just a lot of cool, unique stuff about it, yet progressing um, the story with Mandalore, with uh, Din Djarin trying to find other Mandalorians and yet um, learning more about himself. And still, like you mentioned a bunch of times about the episode to him learning to kind of become that father figure for yeah. the child that he wants to be, but probably just is not the best at it yet. So just a lot of great stuff to chew on and just to enjoy this episode from a visual standpoint as well. So yeah, I definitely yeah. enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, totally. And uh, I, I, it, it's, it seems like a lot of people did enjoy it uh, as much as there's controversy around it. I think the majority of people enjoyed it. Um, and uh, over on social media, uh, we we asked you guys, uh, we, we posted, Chapter 10 had some pretty intense moments. What was your favorite part from The Passenger? And uh, over on Twitter, Galandro007, at Galandro11, uh, tweeted at us, uh, Amy Sedaris, speaking frog. And uh, I'll, I'll say that's a pretty great moment. <laughs> she just kind of like, ar, ar. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, and, uh, Daniel Webb at DR underscore web 22 says, I had no specific favorite moment. It was an overall great episode. Do you think the creatures creatures are somehow related to the ones we see on Adelon? Great alien reference. And I love how rebel fighters are the polar opposite of stormtroopers. It seems like they could not miss. Uh, that's such a great point. It's such a great point. <laughs> they were crack true, shots, yeah. right? Uh, just just ripping those spiders off of the hole and not not actually damaging the ship. <laughs> they just they're perfect. Um, yeah, uh, it's all the helmet. I think that's that's my opinion on it. Um, well, that's what Rex says too in that Rebels episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, and I mean like like Rex especially like you know he keeps he keeps the T visor and there's a reason why he does that. Because uh, because yep. because the visibility is better, um, yeah. I, I think I already talked about the connection to the ones on Adalon. I mean, I th- yeah, I would say that they are in a way. Um, uh, then over on Instagram, Jeff Culligan uh, writes and says the fight at the beginning and near the end when I recognized the guy from Train Forty Eight. He's talking about uh, Paul Sun Hyung Lee, I I Appa. Um, who he recognizes from, I don't know what train 48 is. I think it's a movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's definitely a notable actor. Uh, there's not a lot of, of, uh, Asian American in this case, Asian Canadian, uh, uh, actors in the first place that, that sort of, uh, uh, stand out, um, which is, which is its own sort of, uh, problem, its own issue. But uh, so so it definitely makes uh, someone like uh, uh, Paul stand out. Um, and then he is just he's such a great actor. He's such a talented guy um, that uh, uh, once you get to know him in in, in the things that he's in, uh, you're going to recognize him instantly. Um, and it was so great to have him be a part of the episode. So cool. And then uh, I, Sherston emailed us again and uh, said, so we went from space tremors to space arachnophobia. Nope. <laughs> but otherwise good. The child being peak the child episode. Uh, yeah. I mean, definitely the, the, the mischievousness, the, the sort of uh, uh, capriciousness. I think, I think that applies here. Um, uh, the, the, the mysterious nature of the child all in play 
in this episode and some, and a lot more CG child than I think we're used to. Um, but, but I think uh, used to, to really good effect. Um, there's a, there's a couple of moments there where we get some really great expressiveness uh, that we need in those moments. And especially eating the spider egg uh, is, a, is such a great moment. And that's all CG that, 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 uh, that appears to me at least to be all CG. So I, uh, yeah, man, uh, what a great episode. Uh, thank you, Tim, for humoring me and listening while I talked at length about a lot of stuff. Um, but uh, as always, yeah, thank you for 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 stepping in and uh, and joining me to talk about Star Wars. It's always a pleasure, mostly because you just agree with me all the time. It's just <laughs> you're just like, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, sounds good. And I'm like, yep, that's what I like to hear. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I I. <laughs> But uh, where, where can people check you out? Give, give the pitches, give the give the plugs. You can follow me on social media on Twitter. Uh, my personal account is at TimG311. And um, as Mike mentioned at the beginning, I'm one of the co-hosts on Star Wars The Saga Continues, which you can follow at Star Wars TSC. And we should be having our reaction review episodes for the first two episodes of the Mandalorian, mainly the first uh, episode, the premiere of the Marshall where we really geek out on all the <laughs> fantastic stuff we got in that one. Um, so look out for that one uh, releasing soon. So yeah, that's where you can find me talking star Wars. Uh, awesome. Uh, well, thank you again, Tim, for joining me and thank you everyone for no listening along and uh, we will be back next week uh, with another new episode of The Mandalorian uh, for Chapter 11. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. See you next time, everybody. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Star Wars FMI. If you like what you hear, you can support us in two ways. First, by heading to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch, or by heading to patreon.com thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support. Your pledge gets you early access, exclusive podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. Faster More Intense is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com for more great podcasts.